welcome back to this special bonus episode of Lace Up and Listen. I'm your host, Amelia Uphill, aka The Uphill Runner, and as a mum to one-year-old Max and aspiring marathon runner, I'll be sharing insights about how to juggle mum duties while still finding time for running. Each week, I've been bringing you a conversation with a different inspiring expert guest to help you maximise your training, whether you're a new mum returning to running postnatally or building up to running marathons and more. My guest for this bonus episode is Kelly McNulty. Kelly is the founder of Period of the Period, an educational hub designed to change the narrative for women's health and performance in sport and exercise through awareness, evidence-based education and support. We're going to be talking about the key stages and hormones that can affect our individual motivation and performance levels in sport and exercise throughout our menstrual cycles and how to use this knowledge to our own personal advantage. We also discuss Kelly's reasons for wanting to raise awareness and improve research around sport, exercise and women's health. Hello, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me on. You're welcome. I think this is going to be a really interesting topic, actually, and I've relatively recently done a little blog post about something similar, um, which I will link in the show notes as well. But yeah, I'm really, really keen to have you on to talk in much more detail about women's menstrual cycles and exercise and all things to do with that. Okay, let's start by asking how or what sort of exercise do you enjoy and why? And do you do any running or... Yeah, so I guess I was always kind of brought up in a sporty family, so to speak. So I was always encouraged to take part in kind of anything that was going on, really. So any sport, any activity. So growing up, I guess I played pretty much anything that was available to me. So all the general school sports, um, tennis, athletics, etc. But my main sport was um, actually golf. And I played at quite a high level um, in golf at an international level and involved in England golf's high performance pathway. So for, for a long, long time. So that kind of took up most of my time and where my main sort of focus was at with sport for the majority of my teen years I'd say but now it's just definitely more so playing for fun and that sort of de-stress element although having said that sometimes being out there for four hours I end up more stressed than what (laughs) I was to begin with but yeah so that was kind of my main sport throughout my teen years and the sport I still kind of love to and go back to all the time now but also and and I guess lockdown really helped sort of with this because a lot of the time pre sort of COVID my main activity was I'd say in a gym so lifting weights or being being there but I guess when everything kind of shut down we were all kind of forced to sort of change our focus to different activities that maybe we'd forgotten about or never really tried and actually fell in love with them all again so I guess before we went into lockdown so around that winter before I started actually park runs and then when we first went into lockdown running was such a welcome break from from everything and actually if I'm honest I previously found running to be a little bit boring or something that I could never really get into um but it was great for time away from sort of work and creating that headspace during that time so yeah no definitely fell in love with it again it's become sort of a part of daily life I wouldn't say I'm a runner but I run um but yeah and I ran my first ever sort of half marathon over summer it's just been taking a while to get back into regular running since then but I'm sure sure we'll get that um but yeah it's just enjoying more sort of new activities that I'd never really done before um and yeah just a bit of a mixed bag in terms of sports activities yeah I think you say oh I'm I'm not really a runner but I run I think anybody who runs is a runner and especially if you're saying that you're doing park runs anything anything any kind of running makes you a runner so uh, yeah you are a runner (laughs) 
how did you first get interested in understanding the menstrual menstrual cycle then in in the detail that you've gone into at the minute how, was it link was it always thinking that you were linking it to exercise or was it a different a different thing that got you interested in that yeah so great question um i guess i've always been someone who's had that keen interest in human physiology and how we can um like optimize human performance particularly sort of in sport and exercise and working with say athletes so be in that team and supporting them um so i completed undergraduate degree in sport and exercise science and then that was followed by a master's in um strength and conditioning and during my master's i worked as an snc coach as well mainly in golf and that was my sporting background like what i said and whilst kind of growing up playing that sport at a high level I had a lot of questions regarding sort of the effects of my menstrual cycle and then eventually hormonal contraceptive use on my own training and golf performance as well but at that time there weren't sort of many answers available to me or it wasn't something that kind of we openly discussed with others around us and most of the time kind of being in that sort of high performance pathway we did exactly what the boys were doing sometimes our training sessions were with them as well so whatever training they did um we also did it as well um which seems to be the case in most sports um as the majority of training plans or say nutrition guidelines have largely been based on what's researched in men or been previously successful in male athletes and i guess for a long time that's how it's worked so no one's really questioned whether um that's correct so taking those guidelines and applying them to women but I guess if we think about it logically, it might not always be sort of that the most optimal approach, as I guess it would be naive to almost assume that all research in male athletes can be directly applied to female athletes, given that today we know so much about the anatomical, physiological, hormonal differences, etc. between the sexes. And yeah, because of that, I guess female athletes will benefit from that sex-specific research and their own guidelines that are looking at their physiology, so the menstrual cycle included in that, and how it might be impacting on the likes of performance and training. So I guess that's kind of what got me into it in terms of that there's a lack of guidelines. And I guess why it's important is that now more than ever, we've got this massive increase in the number of women participating in sport and exercise. So for an example, I always use, if we look at the percentage of women competing at the Olympic Games, it's went from... 26% in 1988 to an all-time high of 49% in Tokyo this year and because just like men women want to get we want to get faster we want to get stronger we want to achieve our PBs whether that's at the local 5k every weekend or if it's at that top level gold medal winning performance so because of this um We as coaches, athletes, practitioners, researchers, we all need to know more about women's physiology and how that might be impacting on our performance and training. But I guess the big thing is is that there's still, despite this massive increase in women participating in sport, we've still got this sort of lack of research. So for instance, we've recently conducted this sort of large paper looking at the sex data gap. And we found that out of all the papers from the top six sports science and medicine journals from 2014 all the way through to 2020, that only 6% of the research was done exclusively on women. So you can see that women are still largely underrepresented in this research area and we need to do better. So I guess what it means is we know very little and especially around the effects of the menstrual cycle and hormonal contraceptive use. And I guess that's kind of where I wanted to be part of that movement to bridge that research gap. And that kind of led me to my PhD work. And yeah, so I guess it was because of my own personal experience why I got into the area. But then 
realized that there was a massive gap for, well, <laughs> understatement. Um, there's a huge, huge gap um, for all women and girls to know more as well. Obviously, you've started, I know, I know it's on Instagram, and I don't know if it's elsewhere as well, the period of the period campaign, I suppose, in a way, or um, I don't know how you would describe it, maybe. But was there something specific that prompted you to actually start that to think, actually, I need to be the person to step up and to start to to start to talk about this? Yeah, so I guess kind of linked with sort of that want to sort of bridge the research gap. I also kind of wanted to be able to share the sort of information or the evidence based information that I'd learned from my reading and my research, etc., um, to help promote that optimal health and performance, because I think sometimes that sort of bridge from the research into practice isn't always um, easily accessible or easily understandable. Um, so, yeah, I kind of wanted to be a part of that so it can help keep all girls and women engaged and involved in sport so that they develop that lifelong love for sport and exercise as well. So it's not all about sort of optimal health and performance. And, yeah, that's kind of where period period comes into all of that. And it's sort of, I don't know what you would call it, an educational hub designed to sort of change the narrative for women and girls in sport and exercise. So by raising awareness, providing that evidence-based education from the research and like individual experience and then providing support on all the topics they relate into females that we have forgotten about so the menstrual cycle hormonal contraception but also the likes of breast health pelvic floor health pregnancy menopause etc and at first when I set it up it was mainly sort of for myself so I was reading a lot of the research papers and wanted kind of somewhere to collate them all break them down easily process them in my brain Um, and that was kind of during like I say one of the first lockdowns in the UK as well because for a few months um, all of my kind of hands-on practical research was stopped um, because of face-to-face testing. So yeah, I went into a lot more of this writing up of my um, PhD and was reading a lot. And then, yeah, we started breaking it down. Um, yeah, like I say, mainly just to myself um, talking away on these platforms. But yeah, the page started to grow and I couldn't believe actually how many women and girls were interested in the research and actually wanted to know this information and have it and see how it might affect their performance training, etc. So yeah, I guess going back to the point is the research I thought wasn't easily accessible or the transfer from research into the real world is sometimes difficult. And I wanted to be able to sort of bridge that gap so we all have access to the work. So yeah, um, I started off something very small, but but grown quite a lot in the short space of time. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right in saying that if, if even if we knew where to find them always, because we don't always know to, where to look for proper research papers like you might google things and then you're in just kind of a google like I don't know you go down a rabbit hole of google and then you don't know what's actually (laughs) trustworthy data or what you should be looking for but the fact that you say it's like almost like bite size broken down or the the key the key facts or the key findings perhaps um is so useful for for people like me who aren't scientists or don't have much of a scientific brain I should say yeah because like you say even if we could find them we it's it's just maybe too much too much to understand so I think that's one of the key reasons that I think people are enjoying what you're what you're posting and and keen keen for you to do what, what you're doing because it is accessible yeah we it's more it, we can understand it we can relate to it more than reading a huge research paper for people who aren't studying their phd for example <laughs> um so what do you think the benefits are for people who like i say people who aren't necessarily scientists or aren't the researchers what benefits are there to understanding more about our menstrual menstrual cycle 
when it comes to training or running in particular or like you said you've mentioned about strength training as well which is obviously so important as well yeah so I guess if we kind of step out of sort of sport at the moment because like generally speaking all women or everyone every one of us could do with understanding or having a greater education about the menstrual cycle in terms of the very basics but also then how that might influence everyday today life as well as the likes of sport and training so there is a study um I think it was oh I'm gonna say 2019 but I could be totally wrong um but it was by the Royal College of Obs and Gynecologists, and they reported that women are uneducated about their physiology at all life stages. So, yeah, I think that kind of shows that we all kind of could do with sort of a menstrual cycle 101, etc. <laughs> but I guess for those um, that are thinking about sort of what does my menstrual cycle or what are the benefits to understanding my menstrual cycle in terms of specifically sport and sports performance and training. So... While the main aim of the menstrual cycle is to support reproduction, because we have hormone receptors for, say, estrogen and progesterone, so the two main female sex hormones, all over our bodies. So they're not just in our reproductive system, they're in our muscles, they're in our brain, um, everywhere. Because of this, the fluctuations in these hormones across the menstrual cycle can then influence so many other physiological systems. So our cardiovascular system, our respiratory system, our metabolic system, muscular system, etc. So basically, these hormones can have an effect around our entire body. And because of that, they can then go on to affect things like our performance our training how we recover from that as well and then on top of that I guess we also know just from listening to athletes speak that the menstrual cycle can influence performance and training and recovery as well so for instance I know myself one of the first people that I heard talk openly about the menstrual cycle was Heather Watson um, but you've got others like Paula Radcliffe Serena Williams have all sort of chatted openly to the media regarding sort of these effects but Importantly as well, those effects are not just limited to those elite level performing athletes. So research reports that on average 50 to 90% of active women and girls believe that their menstrual cycle affects um, their ability to perform or train. So that's quite a massive number, even the 50%. And then we also have sort of data from 14 to 16 year old girls where 40% of them say that their periods stop them from taking part in sport altogether, which is quite shocking as well. So I guess for for a long time the menstrual cycle has been treated as a sort of something we don't really discuss or something that shouldn't be talked about so it's not just kind of that lack of research that's the issue it's also the fact that we we haven't talked about it and it's been hushed up and almost considered as that taboo and I guess that means most of us have grown, grown up with sort of a lack of education or feeling like we're almost ashamed about sort of menstrual cycles, periods, etc. And there's actually some research that shows that um, 81% of women and girls have never discussed their menstrual cycle with their coach or anyone in their support team. And 72% of them have never received any education about their menstrual cycle, specifically in terms of sports performance and training. So I guess from that, you kind of see that the menstrual cycle is an important factor because it can have an effect around our entire body these hormonal fluctuations and from that because of that we need to be able to discuss it consider it when it comes to sports performance and training as well would you be able to give examples or suggestions of how you might change your exercise program or how you could adapt it throughout your cycle through different stages and what those stages are yeah so I guess a good place would be to start with a brief recap of the menstrual cycle so I guess um 
yeah if you if you don't know what the menstrual cycle is or you don't if you start sort of thinking I know nothing about it um then you're definitely not alone but I guess the menstrual cycle itself kind of refers to the um cycle of hormonal fluctuations that occurs roughly every month ish in women of reproductive age so around the age of roughly 12 13 all the way through until 50 ish and ultimately the reason why we have a menstrual cycle in the first place like I mentioned before is to allow us to become pregnant and reproduce Um, and there's a common misconception that the length of a menstrual cycle is how long you bleed for but actually the menstrual cycle is the whole thing so the time from the first day of your period all the way to the day before your next period and that sort of length a textbook menstrual cycle length is 28 days but it's definitely worth noting that we're not all textbooks and that only around 13% of us have that 28 day cycle so a normal cycle is considered somewhere between 21 and 35 days and it's also really common for there to be some variation in that length so as you go from sort of cycle to cycle um, by up to about eight days as well. And like I mentioned before, women have these sort of two predominant sex hormones. So lots of other hormones involved in our cycle, but sort of keeping it simple, the two main ones are estrogen and progesterone. And across this sort of textbook 28 day cycle, these hormones rise and fall. And I always start moving my hands around here, but I know no one can see me. <laughs> but um, so for example, we have at the start of the cycle, which is day one. So the first day of the period, estrogen and progesterone. So these two main hormones are are at their lowest and then following your period one of these hormones um, estrogen starts to increase so usually around about day five and reaches its peak just before ovulation so around day 11 to 12 if we're using that textbook example and ovulation itself is the release of an egg from the follicle and usually happens in the midpoint of our cycle so roughly about day 14 in that textbook example again although again that varies greatly within and between women And then after ovulation, we have this small drop off in ovulation, um, estrogen, sorry, before it then begins to rise again to have a secondary peak. Although this is slightly lower than that first one, around day 20 to 23. And also at this time, progesterone, which also started increasing after ovulation, also reaches its peak. So progesterone has been quite quiet across the first half, but then after ovulation starts to rise as well. So you had these two hormones as high in that second half. And then following that, if pregnancy doesn't occur, both the hormones drop off and that allows the cycle to begin again. And I guess sort of within that information, um, that was kind of almost like a typical or a textbook menstrual cycle. But it's so important to highlight early on that every woman is different and there's a lot of variation in, say, the way one woman might experience her menstrual cycle compared to another. So definitely expect your cycle to be, say, different from your sister or your best friend or a teammate or etc. And then I guess just to complicate things a little bit, um, a little bit more, there's also a lot of variation in the same woman across her lifespan. So from first period to menopause. So it's not unusual to see a change in your cycle across that time. And then again, if it wasn't enough, your cycle can also be influenced by things like your lifestyle. So nutrition, stress, sleep, exercise. So it can even change cycle to cycle. So there is a lot, a lot going on. Um, But like I mentioned before, getting back to the question, these hormones can have an effect around our entire body. And then because of that can affect performance, training, etc. So 
I guess if we start at the start of the menstrual cycle, if I walk us back through the cycle, but now try and link those hormones with performance and training. And I guess when I go through it, you'll see that these effects are not necessarily negative. So a lot of the time we focus on sort of say, or we think of, well, menstrual cycle is a negative thing or a period is a negative thing. But actually athletes can and have excelled at all times of their menstrual cycle, despite what their hormones or body might be doing. And actually by just kind of understanding what's going on alongside the likes of tracking our cycles, it can help us gain a better understanding of where we are in our cycle, what's happening hormonally and how that might be related to any performance and training. So as I mentioned at the start of the cycle, so day one of the period your hormones are at their lowest and during this time this is when your period occurs and some people or some women might experience many symptoms such as period pain so low mood fatigue nausea and the chances are if you've got all those symptoms and more then you might not be up for say a big training session or a competition Um, and that's been shown in some recent research so it highlights that the presence of menstrual cycle symptoms and their severity are linked to the likes of changing or missing training but I guess that doesn't what it means is that we don't need to avoid exercise at this time altogether because generally speaking exercise might be beneficial and help to reduce these symptoms and even mood and I guess we'll touch a little bit more on that um, later on but another important consideration for active women and girls is actually coming to sort of managing our periods because generally speaking a sporting environment isn't very period friendly so we might have really long training sessions or we might be in the outdoors with no access to a proper toilet or sanitary bins we might have to wear specific kits so that could be light colored so the dreaded white shorts or tight and then when it's like I mentioned before sort of changing rooms and toilets might not have period products or any period product bins in so I guess it's something to be mindful of because if you're worried about say coming on your period and not having access to anything or if you're worried about leaking your mind's then naturally not going to be thinking about performing or training at your best um so yeah it's just something to consider but as we kind of move on to the next point of our cycle Um, following our period estrogen begins to rise whilst progesterone remains low and estrogen has lots of different effects over say this first half of our cycle so for example it can improve our mood our confidence our motivation to train and perform it might make us feel more energetic Um, on top of that it's known for its muscle building effects so what it means is that the first half of the cycle is set up really well for muscle growth and repair and research reports that if you do more um, strength training in this part of your cycle compared to at any other point in your cycle you might see better strength adaptation so um, bigger and stronger muscles for instance but um, there's also some research that suggests we recover quicker from training at this point in our cycle so that's also something to consider which is really exciting and useful to know as well and then um, if we go to after ovulation so where we have high estrogen and high progesterone and where both these hormones are high Um, Some research suggests that we're better at using fats to fuel um, our exercise at this point in our cycle compared to at any other point. So that could mean that it might be beneficial if, say, you're doing really long, um, steady state endurance training. So when saving your carbohydrate stores and instead using fat can keep you going for longer without feeling tired or without hitting the wall, so to speak. So you might find that you prefer this type of activity or this type of activity feels easier in that part of the cycle. 
But also um, one thing to be aware of is that your body temperature rises by roughly 0.3 of a degree in that sort of second half of our cycle because of progesterone's thermogenic effect. And although it doesn't sound like very much, it sounds really, really tiny, but it might just mean that some women might feel hotter during sport and particularly sort of those long endurance activities especially if they're in the heat so that can make might make you stop or slow down or find that activity feels a little bit harder so yeah and then coming to the end of our cycle this is when estrogen and progesterone are beginning to decline and that decline can cause a lot of the different premenstrual symptoms so headaches bloating etc and yeah just like during the period these symptoms might reduce motivation to perform train make um, the perception of effort during exercise greater so exercise might feel harder but consensus again is that exercise during that premenstrual phase might be beneficial in terms of reducing symptoms improving mood but it's all about listening to your body and adapting it And before I start my massive ramble, there is a caveat to all of it. So something to be wary of is that there's not very much research in this area at the moment. And the research that is available is conflicting. And what I mean by that is some studies report all of those effects and more, whereas other studies report absolutely no effect at all. And actually, at the moment, a lot of this research in this area is considered low quality. So what I kind of mentioned isn't an exact guide of what will happen to every single woman every single month. But I guess just to present some of the current research that is available at the minute, and there is more as well, but hopefully as the science grows, we kind of will get more answers. So I guess the most important takeaway is that you need to focus on you and figure out what works and doesn't work for you as everyone's say experience of their menstrual cycle is totally different. Um, so yeah, it's a very individual thing and what works for someone else might not work for you. And that always sounds so frustrating that we haven't got the research and that we're all so variable, but hopefully by, um, you can see that by knowing sort of the information from the research and then tuning into your own cycle, you can then start to pick out some of the things that might relate to you and the parts that don't, and you can just forget about the parts that don't, but ultimately it's going to help you to maximize your performance and training, but also help you to sort of overcome any of the issues or challenges or problems say that you might be having as well so yeah I guess the best way to learn it all is through cycle tracking and almost becoming your own scientist sort of thing. I've noticed on my sports watch for example there's a there's a feature where I can set it up to track my to track my cycle Um, and I think even there's an app on my phone that, or people are talking about it. I think people are starting to talk about it a little bit more and start to become a bit more interested. But it's just knowing what sort of things to be looking out for, knowing how to tune into it, really. Yeah, definitely. And I think in terms of tracking, I always kind of get asked sort of three questions like how to track and tracking can be done very simply sort of either a pen and paper approach so that can be useful especially if you kind of want to tune into individual but in terms of apps there are many apps out there um, but in terms of apps that are specific to say where you can log sort of training and performance metrics I would definitely recommend wild AI and they've just actually went through 
a sort of redesign and focusing more on the individual, which I think is really interesting because a lot of sort of these performance and training haven't really considered that individual factor. So it's quite interesting what they're doing. Um, But yeah, you you can basically, and then the next question is um, what to track. So I guess at the very basic level of terms of tracking, um, just kind of start by tracking when your period arrives and when it stops and any blood flow during those days, because that's going to give you some indication, even if it's just kind of predicting roughly when your next period might arrive sort of thing which is helpful to know as well Um, but if you kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into the information then you can maybe start tracking sort of symptoms Um, and that's not just on the day of your period or leading up to it it can be across the entire cycle Um, and then also you might want to look at lifestyle factors so this could be sort of changes in sleep or changes in energy levels mood um, diet appetite etc across your entire cycle And then importantly, you can then consider performance and training. So sort of ask yourself questions like, do I feel like I performed better in that training session today or that competition today than what I might normally do at other points in my cycle? Or did I recover faster from that training session the other day quicker than I might normally at a certain point in the cycle? So it's just about sort of tracking all those factors. And it sounds like a lot, but you can do it at a level that suits you into your lifestyle. And that's the most important thing I think with tracking is consistency so the more consistently you do it the better data you're going to get and because of that it's going to be better when you come to inform training performance and then the final question that I always get asked is like what do I do with all this information so like it's all very well you know tracking with say the latest app and all, all these metrics but like what what do you do with it and what we're looking out for is patterns so patterns in the data of say when you have certain symptoms so for instance um maybe you're someone that experiences really sort of bad breast pain in the um, days leading up to your period and you notice this is occurring cycle to cycle then this is then what we do is we need to put a plan in place or a strategy to overcome that so for example that might be something simple as buying a different sports bra that's comfortable during that time that then enables you to carry on performing and training at your best for instance but it's also about using these patterns for say the good stuff so for instance you might be someone that notices consistently greater energy in that lead up to ovulation and you might then use that to plan your big training sessions or just enjoy training hard and feeling great at that point in your cycle so I guess it's all about picking up on these patterns collecting your own data and yeah using that on to inform your performance and training if that makes sense Mm, yeah yeah I love that idea like you said kind of being your own scientist yeah even me who I've already admitted has a really unscientific (laughs) brain I'm already feeling like yeah I'm gonna go out and do this I'm gonna it's like your own personal experiment isn't it yeah I love it well you mentioned in general I suppose about how looking for the positives and that thinking not just because you're on your period doesn't mean that you're going to have to miss exercise or or it's going to be an awful training session Um, um so can you talk a little bit more about how exercise might help to reduce PMS symptoms or period pain or might regular exercise lead into reducing that in general beforehand? Yeah, definitely. So um, PMS, so that refers to sort of the premenstrual syndrome, and it's the name given to sort of a recurring pang of both physical and emotional symptoms. And then these can interfere with just not even sports performance or training, but your day to day life as well. And these symptoms, like I mentioned, appear during that sort of second half of our cycle. So generally in the days leading up to our period, and then usually improve after 
um, the beginning of our period and gone completely by the end. And it's reported that most women, so roughly 90% of us actually experience some PMS symptoms. And you've got the most common ones like headaches, breast pain, bloating, water retention, um, changes in appetite, cravings, and also changes in sleep as well and anger, fatigue. But if none of them are ringing any bells, there are 150 more (laughs) as well. So there's a lot that could be going on. Um, But I guess it's also important to recognize that every woman's experience of PMS is different. So for example, the number and the severity of them and when you experience them differs from person to person, but also like I mentioned, at the start cycle to cycle as well but they do generally tend to form that pattern over time and look out for that pattern when you're tracking as well um but despite it being common no one really knows why it happens or why some women might have more symptoms and others don't so that usual caveat of we need more research um there's actually an interesting fact so one paper found that there are five times more studies on erectile dysfunction which 19 percent of men suffer from compared to pms which like i said affects over 90 percent of women so yeah more research um but yeah so um one of the potential reasons is that changes in our hormones so as we get to the end of the cycle and that decline in them but also the likes of lifestyle genetics and how everything's interacting um but a treatment to sort of alleviate pms is exercise so exercise we know it increases our endorphin level levels it also helps to regulate progesterone and estrogen it also encourages sort of the production of anti-inflammatory chemicals as well as all the other general benefits so improved um, overall fitness as well as sort of that social um, sort of side of it ability to reduce depression anxiety etc so all of those which might help to reduce some pms symptoms as well so there were two big reviews i think it was last year that compared sort of those that didn't exercise um, at the time of PMS compared to those who did. And it basically found that so an exercise intervention might help or might be effective in terms of treating PMS. Um, But there was still some uncertainty around it. But it seemed that regardless of the type of exercise, the most important thing was regular activity um, in order to alleviate the range sort of those different PMS symptoms. So I guess overall, the key message appears in terms of PMS, that exercise can improve. But the big thing was that it's not just on the days when you experience it, it's just kind of involving it into your regular sort of cycle each and every month. Um, So yeah, it's important, but also on the other flip side, there's absolutely no pressure that to go hard and achieve your best training session at the time I mean unless you want to but I guess moving in any way no matter sort of how sort of frequently or sort of at what intensity seems to improve your PMS symptoms but also if we then flip that sort of whilst we're on our period and period pain so that has a fancy name of dysmenorrhea but it can be basically primary or secondary so primary is when it is because of your period whereas if we get into secondary it's kind of looking at pain that has a different root root cause so the likes of endometriosis but if we kind of focus on that primary dysmenorrhea um, so again roughly 90% of us are affected by that Um, but typically um, it's more common when you kind of in the first years of your period and usually gets better Um, having said that I'm still waiting for that to happen but yeah so period pain commonly appears in the first few days of your period and then gets better and this pain is because of prostaglandins so these are basically chemical like hormones that are released 
space to cause these very small contractions of your uterus muscle, which then allows it to expel its lining. So basically shimmying your blood flow out. And whilst kind of we need prostaglandins for the pro-whole process, um, basically if we have too many of them, it can cause those really intense pain or it can also leak into nearby areas. And that's when we kind of get those unpleasant side effects like stomach cramps, nausea, sickness, diarrhea, etc. And yeah, so if you've got all those symptoms, you're probably not up for your big training or your big competition. But there are, again, several studies that have shown that participating in exercise at this time can help to ease the symptoms described um, before. So, for example, recent reviews have concluded that exercise might be an effective treatment for period pain. However, these studies also highlight that we do need more research before we can sort of definitely confirm that. So again, I guess the consensus is that moving during your period can help with these symptoms you might be experiencing and that some movement, so it doesn't have to be your most toughest workout or whatever in that month, but it's better than sort of no movement at all. So again, there's no kind of right or wrong way to exercise whilst you're experiencing PMS or on your period. And again, it's all about tuning into what symptoms you're experiencing, how your body's feeling and how you can then adapt your exercise and training if needed to suit that. Okay, the last question that I'd like to ask you, I feel like I know what the answer is going to be because you're going to tell me everybody's different <laughs> and you've got to tune into your body. But if, if you were perhaps following that textbook example, when would the ideal time be? Would there be an ideal time even during your menstrual cycle to schedule a race, go for a PB? Um, if I mean, you can't always be in, in control of when races are held, but <laughs> in an ideal world... Yeah, so this is a great question. And again, you guess my answer that we don't know. But there is. Um, so basically, um, my kind of first study of my PhD. So um, we basically realized that the research is currently conflicting. So we have that lack of consensus, which means that we have no guidelines for sportswomen in terms of managing their performance across their cycle. Um, and that's when we kind of led this sort of systematic review and meta-analysis, looking at performance across the menstrual cycle. And basically that means we kind of just looked at all of the performance-based research done so far across the menstrual cycle, collected it all together and reviewed it. And we found 78 relevant studies that could be a random number, but I think that's in my brain, um, and had over a thousand participants. And we put them all together. And what we found is that the results indicated that exercise performance, so this is both strength and endurance performance, might be slightly reduced during your early follicular phase. So that's the time on your period compared to all other phases of your menstrual cycle. So basically exercise performance might be slightly reduced in some women when estrogen and progesterone are at their lowest. So usually that days one to five of the menstrual cycle. But in addition to sort of that really small effect, so it was like trivial effect, results also showed relatively large between study variants. So what that means that again, studies were showing different things, but also we had a difference in participant characteristics, the type of performance measured. And also a lot of these studies, so off the top of my head, 42% were classified as low and only I think it was eight or 10% were classified as high quality. And this was basically because we had such a poor use of menstrual 
cycle specific methods. So when you kind of add it all up together, so that really small trivial effect size that we found, the poor quality of the research and the massive differences between the studies, it meant that we couldn't form these general guidelines on, say, when performance was going to be better across your menstrual cycle. And so instead, we came to that um, conclusion again of taking that personalized approach. Um, so tracking, considering your menstrual cycle, being aware of the potential times where it might be reduced. So um, uh, early follicular phase or when it might be enhanced. So from our review, all other menstrual cycle phases, but don't assume sort of that those average results always apply to you. Um, I guess a lot of the research has basically focused on saying that late follicular phase when we've got estrogen is rising, it's a bit of like a superpower to us that you might see a PB, um, especially if you're in the gym, so lifting weights, um, or even if you're just in general performance sports where you have that peak and you're feeling good. But everyone is so different so it comes back to everyone's unique um and if we think about it as well um pbs world records have been set and achieved at all different points of the menstrual cycle so yeah which is a good thing as well so we know we don't have to be limited say by our hormones we're all different and so the best advice for now is kind of find out if your performance is affected and if you feel it is, put those strategies in place to overcome that by tracking your menstrual cycle, collecting your individual data and looking for those patterns. Um, but yeah, and then also, I guess, um, finally, the menstrual cycle is kind of not sort of the be all and end all of performance. So performance is influenced by so many different factors um, that all come together. So also the fact of the menstrual cycle might be sort of washed out in amongst all of that as well. So yeah, so not the be all and end all, but yeah, it might, it might be for some people. So yeah, sorry, very individual. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's reassuring and also really interesting to hear you say about the knowledge that athletes or top athletes have scored pbs or gained pbs or performed really really well at all different stages obviously as you say it's individual to different people but that is really interesting and reassuring like you say to not feel like not think it's something that will always necessarily hold you back if people are interested in finding out more information or looking into more detail in any of the studies or um, statistics that you've mentioned can you um, point people in the right direction and if people want to access or follow period with period um, what 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 can they do to find you yeah so mainly on instagram we are on twitter and facebook as well but we're <laughs> different names on everything which is really convenient for everyone um but i think it's period of the period i should know that on instagram um but yeah mainly active on there and then you should be able to find everything else from there but yeah i know i, I tried to kind of cover all the latest research papers in there as well to help people <laughs> from going to hunt those down thank you so much it's so interesting i know we probably yeah like you say probably the tip of the iceberg here and there's just the fact that so much more research is still to be done and hopefully will begin to be done I think it's a really good time to be talking about it and I think people are starting to talk about it in general more than perhaps in previous years or previous generations yeah definitely thank you so much for having me on as well thank you Whether you're a new mum thinking about starting your postpartum exercise journey or you're working your way through Couch to 5k, if you've got a new post-baby PB or you're listening along on a gentle jog, share your experiences using the hashtag LaceUpAndListen to be in with a chance of featuring on the next series as our Lace Up and Listener of the Week. 
Maybe you've been inspired by Kelly to start tracking your menstrual cycle more closely. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share and leave a review. If you have suggestions for potential topics or future guests, then I'd love to hear from you too. You can contact or tag me on Instagram at the Uphill Runner, or use the hashtag LaceUpAndListen. And that brings us to the end of this final bonus episode of Series 3. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget you can still download and listen to all the previous episodes, including from Series 1 and 2. Looking forward to running with you next time! Thank you.